Welcome to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs Podcast. My name is Fergal Byrne. Every week, I talk to inspiring social entrepreneurs and changemakers dedicated to building a better world. Here, they tell their stories, the highs and the lows, and share what they have learned to help other social entrepreneurs and changemakers on their journeys. The lessons I've learned is be very realistic with yourself about what things cost, about how many customers you'll need to make revenues greater than those cost, and uh, not just a little bit greater, but substantially greater, because there's essentially a lot of businesses out there, even in the commercial space, that are just not that attractive. If you want your company to be a profitable small business, don't take money from people who want it to be a very profitable big business. If you have an organization that's 100% impact-driven but sells things, think about that being a nonprofit, or think about that being a social benefit company or other kind of low-profit construct and approach charitable foundations and, and uh, philanthropists and get investment from them. I'm very pleased today to introduce Xavier Helgeson. Xavier is a serial social entrepreneur, the co-founder and CEO of Off-Grid Electric, a distributed renewable energy company operating in Arusha, Tanzania. Off-Grid Electric radically reduces the cost and risk of adopting solar energy for off-grid households worldwide, allowing them to replace kerosene with solar for as little as $2.50 a month. Xavier is also co-founder and chairman of Better World Books, a $60 million triple bottom line online bookstore that has raised over $11 million for literacy around the world. It's a real privilege to speak to you today. Um, uh, not many are what you might call serial entrepreneurs, serial social entrepreneurs, but Xavier, you've uh, had an appetite to continue and move into new fields. And I'd love to talk to you about your latest venture and find out how you're doing and what your vision is for changing, bringing light and energy to Africa. I appreciate you noticing uh, and, and bringing it up that I've, I've been a uh, you know, serial social entrepreneur, I, I guess it's been almost 15 years now, and uh, I, uh, when I started doing it, we really didn't know what this thing was that we were doing. Um, you know, I, I knew I wanted to um, have a positive impact, but I wanted to be in the, in the business world and in the technology world. Um, and I didn't really have a lot of examples to look to at that point. Um, I, the, the word social entrepreneurship was, was not even in wide usage. And, uh, you know, there certainly were no majors or minors in social entrepreneurship or centers for social entrepreneurship like there are today at, at universities. So it's incredible how much it's, uh, it's shifted. Do you think social entrepreneurs play an important role? I mean, some people I interview say, well, it's, you know, nowadays it's not so useful a, a term of reference, you know, all business becoming, you know, socially minded and so forth. Yet when I speak to social entrepreneurs, they do seem to have a very distinct blend of skills and vision, I think. Yeah, I, I think so too. You know, I think any any category that's useful as long as it defines um, something that's, that's different and valuable. And uh, I you know, well, I do think that all business is becoming more um, conscious. I think there's um, many businesses still do things that are quite superficial or not that thoughtful or, or any kind of social impact. It's only something thought of way after the fact when you're making a whole bunch of profit and you're, you're wondering how you should give back a little bit of employee time or, or uh, profits. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, you tell me a little bit about off-grid electric. It sounds very innovative and really uh, ingenious. Um, uh, distributed solar model. I'm not quite sure what that means. Uh, I guess you call it empire. Is, is that what it's called? Can you tell me a little bit about how this works and what the potential is for it? It's actually really simple. What we do, we we uh, power people's homes. So 
we we provide light, phone charging, radio um, on the on the more powerful systems, uh, home entertainment, and um, you know charging tablets and other kinds of electronics. And the key thing we do is we make solar accessible and affordable in markets where where there's a huge need because lots of people are not on the electric grid um, or the grid they're on is very very intermittent and very poor quality. You know, with lots of need, but uh, there's not uh, an existing offering that meets the, um, you know, meets the financial ability of customers to pay, is they'll need to pay for this over time rather than um, on day one. And also, um, that reduces risk for customers. Uh, so, you know, the world's poorest people are the world's most risk-averse people. So it's very, very hard to convince them to make a large investment um, in something that's uncertain to, to pay off in the future and that has, um, you know, like solar does, has technical risk and has risk of um, quality, that, that the company that's made it needs to stand behind it and fix it if it breaks, and even performance that, you know, will this solar system really solve my energy problems or will it not? And so our, ba- our big innovation has been to um, change the business model for solar in Africa. And instead of making it a model where you're trying to sell people a, a bunch of hardware, uh, we made it a model where you pay for a, a service much more like electricity, um, like like a utility customer does in the West. How big a, an innovation is that? I mean, I can see from the end user perspective there are a lot of benefits. What does it take to deliver that kind of service? Uh, it takes a it takes a tremendous amount. Um, you know, we've uh, at this point we've raised almost fifty million dollars in capital to to build this out. We've uh, essentially had to build a hardware company, a software company, a finance company, and a um, African operations uh, sales and service company all all in one. <laughs> I'll keep you busy. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's not enough to just get one bit of it right. And, and unfortunately, you can't just outsource, you know, you can't just get the hardware right and then outsource your sales and your um, your software and your financing. That doesn't work that way. It has to, um, you know, it has to be all be integrated because you need to know, you need to know the performance of the assets you're financing and your, your sales and service teams need to be able to, um, you know, Take the right customers and uh, and follow up with them and perform service so they stay happy and they keep paying. Um, and so, really, this whole model of making solar work like prepaid mobile is is intellectually easy to wrap your head around, but then uh, you know devilishly complex to to execute on on a large scale. It's it's very interesting because I spoke to Eric Reese a little while ago. He was talking about the idea of business models and the idea that there are business models out there and that you can come up with new business models in social entrepreneurship that will deliver innovative new social services and so forth. How did you approach this? Uh, was it trial and error? And how important do you think it is for a social entrepreneur to really spend time thinking about you know what kind of business model would work and what kind of business model they need to develop. You know, I think it's, um, I think the business model is everything and you don't, you know, you don't get it right at the first crack, but you know, that's, that's ultimately what people invest in is they invest in the business model and they invest in the team's ability to, you know, to make that a reality and to navigate as they go with, um, you know, as, as new data becomes available, as you understand what people are willing to pay, as you understand what things cost, um, and I've been seeing more and more uh, for-profit ventures that really ought to be non-profit um, popping up where, you know, they're they're kind of ambitiously organized as a for-profit company to sell something like water. Um, 
but it's highly unlikely that they will uh, they will ever actually make more money than than the cost. Um, but they have a huge social impact. You know, they have a huge impact delivering clean drinking water to people, which which has all kinds of impacts that we know. Um, the the problem is that people don't always pay for things that are good for them, and so so the real trick is. Um, you know, you're dealing with a population with very low disposable income and who often will make um, trade-offs even that they know are bad for them uh, in the long run in order to conserve short-term uh, short-term cash flow. So um, at least in, in the core of the world I work in, as social entrepreneurs working in Africa and India, um, you know, really getting that business model and the cost structure right is just so critical. What advice do you have for, for social entrepreneurs? I mean, there isn't a social entrepreneur's business model website, you know, repertoire models and, and insights into, you know, how to do this. But what are the lessons you've learned? You know, I think the lessons I've learned is, is be, be very brutally realistic with yourself about what things cost and about how many customers you'll need to make those costs, uh, to make revenues greater than those costs. And uh, not just a little bit greater, but substantially greater, because a lot of people also build what, um, you know, this, uh, there's essentially a lot of businesses out there, even in the commercial space, that are just not that attractive. A bunch of businesses that make 2% margins and 3% margins, um, you know, and you, and you just have to have a ton of revenue to have that be worth anyone's time to, to invest their energy into. Um, and why don't you just go buy a government bond if you're, if you own, if you're content with 2% return? Um, and so, so I think the, the biggest advice I would give uh, social entrepreneurs, because I see more and more coming with um, with huge hearts and huge focus on the impact they want to see in the world, and I would just I would just say to those people they need to um, they need to cross over in some way and, and find very realistic um, business minded people. Who, who sit down with them and add up all the costs and all the revenue, and then ideally find ways to test that and say, okay, would, would, would a customer actually pay this, this number I'm proposing for my efficient cook stove or my um, water purification system? Okay, for $300, let's go out to Cambodia and try to sell water purification systems for $300. See what customers say to us. And, um, you know, depending on those answers, that's, that's how you start to get to a, a model that works. Talking to social entrepreneurs, I get the impression that the pilot stage is, is crucially important as well. This very early stage of testing the you know hypothesis and really seeing what's possible and so forth. What was your pilot stage like, I suppose, and what lessons have you got from from that experience? You know, our pilot was uh, absolutely critical to our um, our formation as a company, and actually looked a lot like the business model we have today. Um, we you know we didn't have access to any prepaid uh, hardware. So we couldn't fully implement the business model because we didn't have a solar system that would switch itself off, um, you know, when people hadn't paid. And so what we did is we just um, marketed the service in a very close area around our office so that most of the customers were within walking distance and then um, had had a large Maasai uh, warrior guy walk around every month and collect the money. And, you know, he was uh, sufficiently intimidating that uh, – you know, people would either pay up or they'd give them the system back. Um, and, and that, uh, you know, that tested that, yeah, people would um, would be willing to make the payment for the hardware on a, on a monthly basis or on an ongoing basis, and, um, you know, at the price point we were asking. And so a lot of the model we built was, was around that, uh, that set of learnings. But 
you know, discovery never ends. And we we probably run more experiments today than we, we've ever run. That's interesting. You talk about experiments. I mean, it's slightly different from, like, I guess, a conventional a startup in the sense that, you know, you stop selling sodas tomorrow because there's no demand. That might be a problem for you personally, but not the end of the world. But if you're doing something, you're providing clean water or energy or something like that, after three, six months and so forth, you've got a business, there is a social you know, impact. So how important is it to do experiments? And can you tell me a little bit about you know, your approach to experiments? What does that actually mean? Uh, yeah, it's a, great, it's a great question. You know, I think the key things, um, the key things with experiments is to real, realize their limitations as well as um, their benefits. So you can learn an absolute ton by taking whatever your product or service is and just putting it in front of a whole bunch of customers. Um, so one thing we did in our market, because there's other, there's other innovative solar companies out there, but we don't normally compete head-to-head for each customer because, you know, it's with sales and distribution, you know, most customers are not aware of all of the offerings available to them. So one experiment we like to do is get, get all our competitors' offerings, and including find, find some cheap Chinese solar hardware from the local hardware store, get that as well, and have a little um, sales uh, event where people can choose any of these four options and, and then see which customers choose our service and which don't. And so which customers like the competitors offering better than ours and what do they like about them. Um, and that's that's incredibly informative for us. That's, um, that's very interesting, yes. Yeah. You know, I think uh, I think the thing people do sometimes is they um, they they try to do a quick and dirty pilot um, and they don't um, they don't realize that some things take just decision and commitment um, that you just know it's a good thing. So a good example may be a loyalty program. Um, as much as you might like to run a, you know, two-week experiment of a loyalty program, see if you can reward your best customers for, for doing good things, um, that may not be sufficient because you, you may actually have to take the time to institutionalize this and have all your customers know about this program, um, have all your staff know about it, be educated about it, be able to evangelize it. It may take you a year before you actually see the desired behavior. Or, you know, it may, it may actually be that your loyalty program was was very smartly designed. You just never designed the marketing collateral for it properly. And so no one knew that it existed. And and so I see these things all the time where people try to pilot um, things that actually just need a budget and commitment and time. And of course, that, that can be hard because um, it's a lot easier to justify a one-off pilot than it is to justify a large commitment of money and time. Yeah, yeah. It's a perennial question, I guess, generally. What is it that's different about, do you think, about a social entrepreneur in terms of the skills that are required to succeed? I mean, in one sense, it's an entrepreneur just working maybe in a more complex environment you know, with a layer of impact on top. But I was wondering what your sense of what else is required to succeed. You know, I think you need a tremendous amount of persistence and dedication, um, probably more than the average entrepreneur. Um, you know, if I was, um, you know, if I was starting a technology company in my hometown, that that would be a lot easier personally than uh, than moving to Africa for for years. Um, you know, and so I think for many social entrepreneurs, there there are a variety of challenges. Either um, working for very low pay for a very long time, um, living somewhere very far from where you grew up, um, or, or where your friends and family are. Um, and sometimes that can be an incredible growth experience. I know living in Africa was an incredible growth experience for me. Um, but you shouldn't undersell the, the 
challenges and the, and the moments of doubt. I, you know, I think it's also uh, one of the most fulfilling careers you can have and also um, can be one of the most stressful and daunting and, um, you know, and, and risky. And, uh, you know, that weighs on you. And so I think, I think people also have to be really honest with themselves. Um, you know, I see some people uh, being social entrepreneurs who have never, um, never started a lemonade stand or, or, you know, and I always wonder about that because I think most of the entrepreneurs I knew were doing something at age 12 or age 14 or age 16 um, where they were providing a service or a good and making a little money doing so. Um, and, you know, I certainly was. And so I, I don't think it's one of these things where you can just wake up one morning and say, I, I've got it. I'm going to be a social entrepreneur. And that's, that's, the, that's the career choice for me. Um, you know, it, it really has to be something that you're compelled to do and that you, you, can't, um, you can't think of doing anything else. I think that's so right because you may not succeed and it has in itself got to be inherently satisfying as a, you know, something that you absolutely want to do and put your best into. Yeah, the, I mean, the odds are you won't succeed. And I think everybody needs to deeply internalize that when they start something. They have to be incredibly optimistic and ambitious that they will that they will beat the odds and, and succeed, but they also have to be incredibly honest that the, the majority of, of any kind, even purely commercial startups, don't succeed. And, um, and these, these crazy impact businesses and social entrepreneurship um, endeavors are only uh, more difficult than that. Now, you've been very successful in raising money, and I'm sure you've worked very hard to do that, and it, it never stops, I think. Can you tell me a little bit about your fundraising experience, certainly with Off-Grid Electric, and maybe a couple of lessons and insights for others? That's a, that's a great question. Um, yeah, it has been, uh, you know, it has been a tremendous uh, learning experience and growth experience for me to uh, to work with, with the, the great investors I have, see the value they bring to the table, and you know, the more um, the more I think about it, the more I think of investors um, as they're just they're just business partners of a different kind. Um, you know, they're not going to work with you full time to build your business, but that doesn't mean they're not helping you build your business. And they, um, the best of them, will typically leverage um, ex- either experience that's relevant to you, um, connections that are relevant to you, um, or or some combination of both. And uh, so, for example, Solar City, uh, as an investor in our company, they're they're the leading solar company in the U.S. Um, and their CEO has been through almost every single challenge that we face um, already. And so, you know, when we have a board meeting, there's there's typically uh, a lot of discussion about, okay, well, we had that same problem in Solar City, and here's what we did to um, to solve it or to address it. Um, and I, I would also say that. Um, most of my investors at some point have, have hit a home run for the company. You know, and you don't always find some of these are unexpected. These are, these are people they may have gone to school with or they may have met at a conference or at a sporting event or who knows what. Um, but uh, our, our investors have been a tremendous help to us in recruiting talent, in, in finding other investors, um, in, uh, and, and in being strategic about how we grow the business. That's a very interesting like, partnership model. I don't think there's a social entrepreneur I've spoken to that has not struggled and found this a very challenging part of the whole business and some have succeeded better than others. What do you think are a few lessons that are, you know, that you've really learned here? You know, I think lesson number one is, is be crystal clear about what you really, um, what value you really are creating. 
be, be crystal clear about what social value you're creating, be crystal clear about what economic value you're creating. Worst case scenario I see is where uh, social entrepreneurs have an economically mediocre business or less, and then they try to go pitch commercial venture capital and say, hey, VCs, please invest in my mediocre business. And the VCs say, well, I, I, I can't do that. You know, I have a, I have a man, my mandate says if I put $1 in, I've got to see how I can get 10 or 20 out if this thing really goes well. Um, you know, on the uh, on the flip side, if you go to uh, you go to USAID and you say, USAID, please, um, you know, invest venture capital in my business, they'll say, we don't even have a place you could send us a check if this is successful. So, you know, how do we... Um, how do we think about using grant dollars to um, encourage investors uh, to come into your business? Um, and so, what I've seen is that in our business is that we have um, we have some powerful social impacts, and we've been able to find investors who are motivated to see those impacts um, happen. And they liked that in our business you could measure it; it was tangible, and that it was uh, commercial. So. Need investment in the early days, but you should be able to grow it to be uh, to be self-sustaining. In in the more later stage investment, the key has been showing investors that there's a there's a big economic opportunity here, and that we have a great team to implement it, and that we've already faced a lot of challenges and overcome them, um, and that we have a great uh, a great group of backers and partners who are who are willing to stand behind the company for the long run and um, and see it succeed. And how literally did you find these investors? And I, I, you mentioned that patient capital is, is something that people talk about, but it, there seems not to be a lot of it around. Is it worth the VCs, you know, the best of times are, even with the commercial business, a very tricky proposition to raise money from? Where should, in, you know, somebody who's got a good idea, but not the next Microsoft, what are the options? You know, again, Pete, you just have to be very, very realistic about what your business is. And, you know, I tell people that it's actually surprisingly easy, um, not trivial, but it's it's surprisingly easy to, to build a business that can generate between $1 million and, and $10 million in revenue. And I've seen so many people do it in, in such small niches and in such interesting ways. Um, and that's a lovely business. And that's a business that venture capitalists will never invest in. And so what you have to, um, you know, what you have to understand is you have to think about, well, how does a restaurant get funded? You know, friends and friends and family put up some money in the restaurant, and um, you know, and they get they get their money paid back first as the restaurant starts to become profitable, and then um, everybody shares a bit in the upside. And so, um, you know, there's lots of there's lots and lots of wealthy individuals in the world who want to make a difference, and I've seen a lot of um, a lot of social impact companies find a few of them. Some business angels, you'd say, is use your personal networks, anybody you know, and try and reach out to business angels. And some of them may, you know, be more inclined towards, I might have a certain pot, a pot available for ventures that are going to make a difference. Yeah, I've, I've seen this again and again where individuals that have done well in business, um, if they buy into the mission and the story of what the company is doing, they say, you know what, I'm going to invest this and I'm going to, even though it's an investment, I'm going to kind of think of it as a charitable contribution. If it doesn't work out, I'm going to write it off on my taxes, you know, just like I would a charitable contribution. You know, if it does work out, I'm, I'd be happy to get my money back. Um, you know, it, it's also worth remembering that um, patient capital is is really more a question of legal structure than it is a question of, of philosophy. Um, most venture capital is actually patient capital. Yes, yeah. It, it, 
he goes into a, once it's in a company, there's no way to get it out unless the company, um, you know, sells or IPOs. Yeah, um, that could be seven or ten years. Yeah. Yeah, and so you know, that not to say that the venture capitalists can't can't call the CEO and give them an earful every week. And, you know, <laughs> if they're not moving towards that goal. Again, this is about being realistic about what your company is. If, if, you're, if you want your company be, to be a profitable small business, don't take money from people who want it to be a um, very profitable big business. If if you have an organization that's 100% impact driven but sells things, think about that being a nonprofit. Or think about that being a social benefit company or other kind of low-profit construct and approach charitable foundations and, and uh, philanthropists and, um, and get investment from them. You know, we've, uh, we have a significant shareholding from three different um, charitable foundations uh, who, who invested, um, invested capital but did so primarily to be a catalyst to the business rather than um, in any expectation of return. That's really useful. Very good advice. I guess last question, what's your vision for Off-Grid? Where do you want to be in five years or how do you look at that? So our vision when we uh, when we started the company was to light Africa in a decade, um, which is a you know very ambitious vision for us. That means uh, really that we, we ourselves have uh, lighted 10 million homes and that we've, um, we've helped spur an industry that's, that's lighting a lot more than that. Um, so, so that's the that's the vision. I, I think looking at it from a different angle, um, I'm pretty certain at this point that um, the vast majority of homes in Africa and India over the next ten years, uh, and, and a few other countries besides, will um, will have solar and battery storage in their home. There's a question of how big that system is and how capable that system is, but. It's just such a practical choice whether you have the electrical grid or not, because even if you have the grid, there's there's not one grid in sub-Saharan Africa that's reliable, and it's of course tremendously disruptive to have your lights cut out and and your uh, power cut at at night. Um, and so there's a huge opportunity to build trusted brands that deliver this. That people know when I go with this solar system, there's a company that stands behind it. I know it works great. And I know in the future, I can, uh, as my energy needs grow, this company will be there for me and will, uh, will help, will grow with me. Um, so our vision is to be that company and to keep growing with people all the way up to the uh, to a Western standard of, of power. I wish you the very best. That's a great vision. It's been fascinating to talk to you. We haven't had an opportunity to talk about better books, and I'm sure there's a lot of insight there and another amazing adventure. But thank you very much, Xavier, for taking the time to speak to inspiring social entrepreneurs. I wish you the very best with your adventure. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on. It's a real pleasure, and I'll be uh, an avid listener on the podcast myself uh, going forward. Thank you for listening to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneur podcast. I hope you found this interview inspiring. Please make sure to visit www.inspiringsocialentrepreneurs.com and subscribe to make sure you don't miss any future podcasts.